0: Good morning, First Service. Good morning. Good morning, online. I'm Pastor Chase. I'm the executive pastor here, and I am glad you are joining us this morning. If this is your first week here, you've caught us in the middle of a money series. Who's excited about that? Yeah, hey, these are not full of money, so don't try to steal them anymore. All right? Just letting you guys know that on the way out the door. Hey, as you're joining us, hey, like I said, don't try to steal them. All right? As you guys are here this morning, I do want to talk about what's happened the last couple weeks Because you need to make sure you catch up. So in week one, Jason talked about the importance of money and how it plays an important role in our lives. And then last week, we got hit in the face with contentment and what it means to truly be content. I don't know about you guys, but I felt convicted about that sermon. This week, we're talking about investing wisely. And I have been uh, tapped to preach this sermon to you this morning. So get excited as we talk about lots of terms today like ROI and diversification. For those who don't know what that is, ROI is return of investment. So just make sure you remember that return on investment sort of related in the sermon. However, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to go through all those topics for you. But I do want to talk about this. When we talk about money or even land possession in Scripture, you have 2,000 verses from the Bible that talk about this issue. That's more than love and grace combined. Well... So if it's talked about 2,000 times, I'm assuming that we need to talk about it a little bit more than in the church. So this morning, we're going to be talking about how to invest wisely. But as we get ready to unpack this, let me share with you a personal story about my first encounter with managing and dealing with money. My first encounter, all right? I was in junior high, and I was in home ec class. Who remembers taking home ec class in here, anybody? All right. There was different stations in home ec class, and you were partnered up, and you had like three or four-week rotations. One was cooking and making the apple tart um, or the stir-fry. One was how to sew, and you made that cool little backpack with drawstrings on it out of fabric. Mine was camouflage, all right? Um, Then there was this one station called finances, and it was how to manage your personal finances. And as a seventh grader, really didn't understand this. So I sat down with my partner, and you start this computer program. And the first thing it does is it gives you, as a a couple, your jobs, and you have to manage your household money together. Well, so we pushed enter on the computer and out popped my job, bank teller, all right? All right, making a cool salary. I don't even remember what the number was, but it wasn't that much, all right? And then you had to manage all the bills and all the finances, and you had to pass this module within three weeks. Well, my partner and I got to the end of the module, and she looks at me and goes, Chase, we ain't going to do this. I'm like, what do you mean? She's like, we owe $328 for the credit card bill, and we don't have the money to pay for it. And I thought about that, and I'm like, well, we're in trouble, because we can't pass this module if we don't pin it, finish this. And so I started thinking, and I said, hey, when we had to pay for, like, groceries or the gas bill, we used the credit card. She says, yeah. And I'm like, let me try something. So I used the credit card to pay for the credit card bill, and long and behold, the computer pops up, Success. <laughs> And I'm going, all right, that is my first, and I'm assuming when they designed that for home ec class, no one tried that because that probably should not be success, (laughs) but we passed that module of flying colors. And so this morning, as we unpack more about finances, I want to give you a phrase that was used very commonly in the 80s, and it's kind of rhymes, but it's really important. It's kind of like a mantra to how we handle finances, here's what it is, give Save, invest, plan for rest. Say it with me. Give, save, invest, plan for rest. If you guys have a financial planner that's a little old school, they probably have recited that to you. This morning as we start talking about invest, because I'm going to hit most of that word next week, Jason's talking about giving, but today we're going to be in Luke chapter 16 and we're going to look at a parable that Jesus told And the parable we're going to look at has been looked at by many commentators, theologians, and there's so many different ways to interpret this, so that means I can't get it wrong, which is great. So Luke 16, starting in verse 1, says this, Jesus told this story to his disciples. There was a certain rich man who had a manager handling his affairs. One day a report came that the manager was wasting his employer's money. So the employer called him in and said, what's this I hear about you? "'Get your report in order because you are going to be fired.' The manager thought to himself, "'Now what? "'My boss has fired me. "'I don't have the strength to dig ditches, and I'm too proud to beg. "'Ah, I know how to ensure that I'll have plenty of friends "'who will give me a home when I'm fired.' So he invited each person who owed money to his employer to come and discuss the situation. He asked the first one, "'How much do you owe him?' The man replied, "'I owe him 800 gallons of olive oil.'" So the manager told him, take the bill and quickly change it to 400 gallons. Well, that sounds like fraud to me, but we'll move on. (laughs) Verse 7, and how much do you owe my employer? He asked the next man, I owe him a thousand bushels of wheat, was the reply. Here, the manager said, take the bill and change it to 800 bushels. The rich man had to admire the dishonest rascal for being so shrewd. And it is true that the children of this world are more shrewd in dealing with the world around them than are the children of light or Christians. Verse 9, here's the lesson. Use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. Then when your possessions are gone, they'll welcome you to an eternal home. If you are faithful in little things, you'll be faithful in large ones. But if you are dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. And if you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches of heaven? And if you are not faithful with other people's things, why should you be trusted with things of your own? Verse 13, no one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. And let me unpack this a little bit more. Jesus, as he's talking through this parable, what we do know if we read before and after, he is talking to his disciples. This isn't like a parable for the masses. This isn't a parable for the rich leaders or the the religious leaders. He's talking to those closest to him. And he's giving this parable. And then all of a sudden you see this manager taking bills and Cutting off the top, saying, hey, do this. And why he's doing that, in this context, the manager would have been living on the employer's land or the owner's land. As he's managing the entire estate, that's what this text implies, he would have been living on that land. So not only was he going to be fired, but he would have been homeless. He would have had nowhere to go. And so when we read this, we're thinking, okay, man, he's cutting off people's, like, you know, debt, this owner is gonna kick him out and be angry and like gonna go and press charges, getting thrown in jail. But what does the owner do? He does all that. And then, verse eight, the rich man had to admire the dishonest rascal for being so shrewd. And it is true that the children of this world are more shrewd in dealing with the world around them than are the children of the light. Here's the lesson. Here's what Jesus says. Here's the lesson. Use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. Then when your possessions are gone, they'll welcome you to an eternal home. Well, we might read that and be like, Jesus, what? This guy literally just stole money. And you're like, here's the lesson. Use your resources wisely. When you dive into the context of this scripture, you realize what he cut off was his profit margin. What he cut off was the interest. And when you dive into Leviticus, and Levitical law of the Old Testament, you see that that's actually legal to do. And that's what he does. So the owner got really everything that was paid back to him, but didn't receive interest on it, and the manager didn't get his cut. And in doing so, so rapidly, he knew that once he was fired, somebody else would take him in because of how much money he had just saved them. Some of you might look at that and be like, I can't believe Jesus is, like, okay with that. It was completely in Levitical law. It was totally okay. And what Jesus is saying is, hey, sometimes you've got to be resourceful. In fact, Jesus is harsher in Matthew chapter 10 when he says this, look, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves, so be as shrewd as snakes, and harmless as doves. As believers, as people that want to see investment in the kingdom, we're called to be resourceful. Let me tell you a story about a a local partner that we have here at Great Oaks. The Dream Center and the building that they're in now was originally built in 1953 and used by the YMCA. The building became empty in 2000 with a sale price of $4 million. For those of you who know that, that's what the sale price of that building was, and no one was interested in it set for over four years. Some of you might know the story. In early 2004, as Dream Center Peoria was looking at a home to house its operations and ministries, some developments occurred. The building dropped in price from $4 million to $1.4 million, which allowed the building to be purchased. The day that the Dream Center approached the Y about the building, so they were intent on, we'll figure out the money, we'll figure out the way to have the 1.4. No one had contacted them in nine months about the property. After some miraculous intervention and meetings with both the Y and the hospital, Dream Center ended up purchasing the eight-story, 140,000-square-foot building, and the hospital only wanted the parking lot, so therefore Dream Center only paid $200,000 for that $4 million building. That's resourcefulness. That's what this text is getting at. Church, we should leverage our resources to make wise investments. We should leverage our resources to make wise investments. Now, as you hear me say that, some of you might be like, oh, sweet. Chase is going to give us his investment advice on how we can get rich. This is going to be great. He's going to let us know with all the things coming up in 2023, which digital currency is going to be best. Is it ApeCoin? Is it Medicaid? Not not Medicaid. Metacade. Like, which one's going to do it? And, and, And church, that's not how we're supposed to be. In fact, a good definition of greed is the assumption that it's all for my consumption. Greed is the assumption that it's all for my consumption. In fact, Proverbs 28 says this, the trustworthy person will get a rich reward, but a person who wants quick riches will get into trouble. Showing partiality is never good, yet some will do wrong for a mere piece of bread. Greedy people try to get rich quick, but don't realize they're headed for poverty. We need to make sure we leverage our resources to make wise investments. And get-rich-quick schemes, and everyone in here knows them, aren't wise investments. However, some of you might in here be like, oh, I love to make investments. But we can't make investments without good management. We can't make investments without good management. And, and Jason hit a lot of this with paying the bills in the last two weeks and how to manage money. But I, I want to go ahead and talk a little bit more about that. In, in week one, Jason talked about how around our household average credit card debt is around $9,000 per household. And, and you might look around and be like, yeah, I tell you what, Chase, these young kids don't know how to do things anymore. Let me tell you who, what generation has the number one credit card debt in our country today. It is the Gen Xers in the room. So if you're late 30s, 40s, early 50s, I'm talking to you about that. Because on average, you have three credit cards in your name and you have two retail cards also. And you carry balances just on those credit cards of over 7,000 and additional thousands on those retail cards. So before we look at the younger people in the room, that's where it's at. The average Gen X person in the room carries $32,000 in debt. That's not their mortgage. That's not their mortgage. Now, before all the kids in the room are like, oh, yeah, get my parents. Stick it to them. (laughs) Well, you're not getting away from it either. Because the millennials, they have this issue too. 63% of our population today say they live paycheck to paycheck. 63% say they live paycheck to paycheck. And of those 63% living paycheck to paycheck, most of them live at 115% of their income. Think about that. They live at 115% of their income. Newsflash, you can't do that. You're not the federal government. (laughs) Now, like I said, younger people, you're not out of this. Because youngers, in the are millennials and Gen Z. Let me talk to you for a second. And I'm going to tell you a story. To, t- to talk to you guys and me, because I'm, I'm considered a millennial. It's one of the few times I actually want to own that. Let me tell you about the worst girl I ever dated. All right? That's, that's, that's going to be a good story for you. Worst girl I ever dated. It started in college. I really only talked to her about once a year. And she was an utter nightmare. So much so that it continued years after college. Her name was Sally May. (laughs) If you don't know who Sally May is, that's one of the biggest federal loan companies in the world, all right? So that is uh, the worst girlfriend I've ever had. Inappropriately even even went on into my marriage. And so I would get calls once a year saying, hey, here's your new loan amount. And as an 18-year-old college student, let me tell you how wise I was at this time. You've already learned at seventh grade I was pretty resourceful. As an 18-year-old college student, the first loan distribution goes in. And then I get a call from the finance office saying, Chase, can you come to the office? I said, sure. And they said, hey, tuition got paid for, but you got this scholarship over here, so you actually have like $1,200 in loan money that's left over. Yeah? Well, you have the option. Do you want to keep that or send it back? What do you want to do with that? I'm like, wait a minute, I can keep that? Lovely 45-year-old lady looks at me and said, absolutely you can. What can I do with it? Whatever you want. Yet again, in my head, I'm like, that's not fraud? Okay, sure, write me a check. That afternoon, I went to my roommate. I'm like, dude, best day ever. (laughs) What do you mean? We got a 48-inch TV for our dorm room. It's the best day ever. Halo is going to look awesome on this TV. Now, had I known at 18 that that, you know, $750 TV was going to be like $3,200 later, might have made a different choice. But at that point in my life, I was not making good financial decisions. In fact, Luke 16.10 says it from Jesus. If you are faithful in little things, you'll be faithful in large ones. But if you are dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. I wasn't good with little things. At that moment in my life, I wasn't good at that. Maybe some of you right now in this room or that's where you feel like right now. And the day you really come to terms with this, what I call the day of reckoning when you realize how responsible or irresponsible you are in finances for most of us is the day we get married. Because then somebody else gets in the picture. And then you sit down before you get married and you have that fun conversation, "Hey, how much money do you have? How much money do you have?" For a lot of us in here, if you get married in your 20s, it's that you you start off with, I have negative (laughs) $52,000. And then you realize that someone is going to bring in more debt than others. Personally, I was okay with it because I also brought some good looks, so I thought it was fine. And then you start your marriage together. And early on, Megan and I decided that I would manage the finances. Now, We've already talked about how money management is an issue, and there's actually a book. I was actually at Barnes & Noble at the coffee shop because I needed other resources that were not in my office to preach a sermon on money and finances, and I found this book in Barnes & Noble. Go ahead, throw it up for you, Rob. Yeah, managing your money for dummies. Okay, I want you to hear me on this. This book is 662 pages. I fully believe that that is a complete oxymoron. If you want someone to read a book called Managing Money for Dummies and it's 662 pages, you're hitting the wrong crowd. Let me put that in perspective for you. The book Quantum Physics for Dummies is 200 less pages. Quantum Physics for Dummies. I couldn't tell you a principle about Quantum Physics. I probably could use that book early on in my life. And then, like I said, as Megan and I sit down and said, hey, all right, I'll be the one managing the finances. I remember a couple months into our marriage, Megan would look at me and say, Chase, we got to have more money than this. She's like, I'm looking at the balances. We, we, I know what we make. we got to be have more money than this. And I would look at her and i say, simple this. we be paying debt. And we're throwing every dime we have at debt, trying to dig out of the hole. I will not be up here and tell you that I am an investment guru. I will not tell you that I am a wizard with money, but I will tell you this. I know how to pay tens of thousands of dollars to people I owe money to. Did it for years. And there was that great feeling when you pay off a credit card or you pay off one of your student loans, when that comes and says complete zero balance, and then you laminate it because you never trust someone to remember that. Some of you might be in here this day and be like, Chase, I want to make wise investments, but I can't dig myself out of that hole. And so maybe what you're thinking is, the fix is maybe I just choose who not to pay. Let me speak to that for a second. You know, when Jason or I preach up here, there's sometimes we say a phrase of, man, if there was a text we would not want to look at in Scripture, here was one. Well, here's a text I think all of us can agree on of, man, I wish that wasn't there. Romans 13 verses 7 and 8 says this, Give to everyone what you owe them. Pay your taxes and government fees to those who collect them. And give respect and honor to those who are in authority. Owe nothing to anyone except for your obligation to love one another. If you love your neighbor, you will fulfill the requirements of God's law. That's literally Paul telling you to pay your taxes. Gross. (laughs) But it's the right thing to do. It's what you owe. And if you think it's hard for our crowd today to hear that, In the first century, when Paul wrote that, these people were being oppressed by this government. And Paul's saying, pay taxes? Honor those who are in authority? That could be a whole sermon in itself. But it's a character thing. And as if we call ourselves believers, we have character in this. So as maybe you're sitting here and you're like, man... I don't know what to do. I can't get out of this hole. We don't manage well. We're not saving well. We're not doing any of this well. I would say this to you. Let me ask you this question. Let me me, me ask. Instead of saying something, let me ask the question. Right now you own your finances. You own your money. If somebody was managing that money for you and you were in the current state you're in right now, would you still employ them? Because maybe the point I'm trying to make is this, maybe it's time to move from the owner's box to the manager's desk. And maybe some of you need to fire yourself. Maybe we need to move from the owner's box to the manager's desk and ask ourselves, is this truly the best thing to do with our money? Is this the wisest investment to make? One of the easiest ways to do that is remembering a foundational principle. Foundational principle is this, God owns it all. That's what helped me move to the manager's desk, is remembering that, hey, yeah, I get this paycheck, it's got my name on it, Megan gets a paycheck, it has her name on it, it's not ours. We're called to be good stewards with the resources and blessings that God has given us. I'm blessed to have a job. Megan's blessed to have a job. Most of you in here are blessed to have a job. Some of you are Maybe unemployed, and that is hard. I get that, and we're praying for you. But the question is, maybe we need to move to the manager's desk because God owns it all. And church, we can't have wise investment without a plan. That's why you need to manage it. We can't have wise investment without a plan. In fact, Luke 14, verse 28 says this, But don't begin until you count the cost. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it? Well, that just sounds like wisdom to me. But let's be honest. How many of us in here are impulsive people? How many of us in here spend money on certain things before we consider the cost? Well, the easiest way to get involved in that is around the new year, it is easy to do. Oh, newest cell phone comes out. Hey, turn your old one. It's only $100. What you don't realize is another $30 on your plan every single month until the end of time. Do we sit down and have a plan and do we count the cost of things? Some of you, honestly, one of us in here, like maybe you're saying, the only time I sat down and counted the cost was when we had a child. Well, use that same principle to everything you do. How are you doing financially? Some of you in here, you might be sitting at the manager's desk and you might realize... You might need some outside help. There's plenty of people to reach for outside help. And say, hey, how do I do this better? Because once you start managing it better, then we get to a principle that's in Ecclesiastes, which in chapter 11 says this But divide your investments among many places, for you do not know what risk might lie ahead. Boom! Diversification is in Scripture. Who knew? If you don't know what I'm talking about, talk to a financial advisor. So, why don't we spend time talking about investment from this stage? Why is this a whole week in our series on money? Here's why How you invest has kingdom implications. How you invest has kingdom implications. Some of you might be like, Chase, I understand what you're saying. I get the principle, but I can't get out of this. I can't get out of this hole. We hear you. And that's why here on February 28th, we're going to launch a, I believe it's a 10-week class from Crown Financial that you can come be a part of. You can sign up right now for on our app. We want to take this seriously and help everyone in the room take it seriously. If you're struggling in debt, don't know how to get out or you want to manage your money better, please sign up and take that. If you have questions about that, see Paul. Maybe some of you aren't that far off, and you're like, "Well, how do I get better? So I've told some like really cool stories about how I manage money in junior high very well, told some great college stories about how I was not responsible with my little in college, and some of you who have been in church long enough might start putting some pieces together. I serve as the executive pastor, which means I am actually the staff member that oversees our financial state at Great Oaks. You might be like, whoa, whoa. First off, I interview very well. All right. But let me tell you, because I skipped a whole generation of people. Because I I got Gen Z, I got millennials, I got Gen Xers. And some of you in here might be like, Chase, I'm a boomer. I might not look it, but I am. Let me talk to you for a second. The reason I got better with money, and the reason that I'm a little bit more shrewd in the office with some of our staff saying, no, you can't spend this, is because years ago, in my last church, I got invited as the student pastor to sit on our finance committee. And I was the youngest by 35 years at least. And I watch people pour into me these principles of how to manage the cost, what break-even is, how to save, what's the best way to save, what it means to evaluate programs and talk about return on investment and what's going to bring us a higher yield. You might not think that we do that in the church, but we do. There's a reason we choose certain programs and don't choose others. Because we want to do what's best for our resources, our manpower, and what's going to make the biggest impact in the kingdom. How I got better is because some older people invested in me. And maybe that's what you need to do. Maybe I'm telling you that what you need to do is start passing some wisdom on. Because in fact, when people feel like they're in a hole, for example, when millennials feel like they're in an absolute hole, 60% of them, the first place they turn is their parents. Here's the scary part about that. Most of their parents are Gen X. So the financial principles really aren't correlating well. So some of you in here that might think, well, I don't have anything more to give. You have plenty of knowledge to give and invest to others. Do it. How you invest has kingdom implications. We know that as a church, so therefore we invest. Invest. How we invest is in Kingdom Builders. Our Kingdom Builder partnerships is a way that we invest. So as you tithe the Great Oaks, we we tithe the tithe and send out to our partners and also go above that times when they have special projects or needs that they need to have met. Let me talk about that for a minute because it's the fourth Sunday of the month, which usually means that there's a Kingdom Builder update. And you'll hear from me or one of our partners, I chose not to do that this week because I want to talk about Kingdom Builders as a whole. Because some of you in here might not know that when you tithe, we do take 10%. And those go to Dream Center, YFC, Southside Mission, Peoria Rescue, Midwest Food Bank, my sister's house, Heartline Heart House. All of these issues, all these causes that we send to. Why? Because we see the kingdom impact they're making. And by the way, when I say my sister's house, that's actually an organization and not my sister's house, all right? So, yeah, I want to clarify that because I heard some chuckles, all right? <laughs> all right? So yeah, how you invest has kingdom impact, even how you invest here. When you tithe here, that's an investment. You're investing in our programming, how we raise up kids, how we, how we pour into the next generation, how we do discipleship, how we lead life groups. And how we have a global footprint with our missionaries. Some of you in here do that besides tithing. You invest in other organizations. Some of you in here have compassion children or world vision children that you support once a month because you want them to have resources that they need to grow up. Those are great things. So let me ask this question. How are you doing? How are you doing with your investment? Are you doing well? Or is your money and finances in such disarray that you can't really wisely invest right now? You know, the, for the opening phrase that I talked about, you know, was, you know, give and invest. You know, plan for rest. I want to talk about that for a second because when we talk about give, save, and then invest and plan for rest, everyone assumes that plan for rest when it was given out in the 80s was, oh, retirement so you can rest. In the church, that's not how we look at that. How we look at that is how you plan for rest is when you get to the kingdom and you get to spend it with Jesus because you're never done. And for some of you in here, you might think of all these principles that we talked about with finance and be like, Chase, this doesn't matter to me. I I really don't belong to Jesus. I don't know him. I don't have that relationship. I don't call myself a Christian. And to you, I want to say this. The book of Hebrews tells us in in chapter 11, and it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. So if you find yourself in that place today, hear me when I say this to you. The greatest ROI you will ever have is your relationship with Christ. The greatest return on investment you will ever have is that relationship with Christ. Because you know what's great about that? You don't have to dig yourself out of debt. You don't have to change how you are. Some of us here might be like, Jason, I don't want to go to Jesus because that means I have to change who I am. No, no, that's his job to start modifying us. All you have to do is say, yeah, I know, I believe that Jesus died on the cross for me. And I want to know what that relationship looks like. I promise you, it will be the greatest investment you ever make. We're going to have a song here in a minute. And if you find yourself in that camp today, I want you to go talk to one of our prayer workers on the sides. And just talk with him. Or find one of the pastoral staff on the way out and just say, hey... I appreciate the money, sir, but like, hey, I would love to know what that relationship with Jesus looks like. Because church, you don't have to better yourself in order to find Jesus. All you gotta do is come to him. And you will find peace, you will find rest. And then you will find rest in eternity. So that's for you. For those of you that are here this morning and you call yourself a believer, let's go back to Luke 10. Are you being resourceful with what God has given you? Are you being shrewd sometimes when you need to be? Because are you leveraging those resources because that's how you make investment in the kingdom, but it's also how you manage relationships? Are you blessing other people with the resources that's been blessed to you? How are you doing with that? Are you helping the single mom that's struggling? Are you helping the couple that is unemployed right now? Are we helping those that can't put food on the table? Are you seeing causes and saying, yes, I want to invest in that because they're investing in the next generation behind us. How are you leveraging your resources? Ask yourself those questions this week. And as you come back next week, and Jason starts talking about how we give, I hope we all take that to heart, including myself and everyone that walks on this stage. Let's pray. Father, we're just so glad we can gather here this morning. God, as we come to the the end of the message, we ask that we learn something from the pages. We learn something from the story of Luke 10. And may we just take it out. God, may we be resourceful. May you trust us with little, And then after you trust us with little, may you trust us with much. May we bless your kingdom with the resources you have given us. God, because we are a blessed people. We are a blessed nation. There is so much wealth. May we do what we're called to do. Pray us on your name. Amen.